All right, so uh, we're going to continue the, the values thing this morning, and uh, we, we're, we're almost getting toward the end of this, and so I'd like to unpack one more with you this morning and talk about it, and um, you might laugh when I say uh, what value we're talking about today, uh, but I want to uh, define what I think the culture says this is and what I think the scriptures tell us uh, this is. And so today we're going to talk about valuing real talk, okay? Um, so uh, I don't know if you've heard that terminology in our society. Some people use, I have a friend who uses it all the time. Every time he says something he wants me to pay attention to, or he really wants me to listen to, or he thinks I should hear, he says, hey, this is real talk. Uh, and so that's his indication to me that this is, I think, supposed to be authentic and it's supposed to be just real and bold and out there and I'm supposed to pay attention to what he's saying. All right, have, have anybody heard that term? You've heard that term, real talk? If you're under 40, you might not have heard it. But um, I'm barely under 40. But, uh, but I have this friend who, who, who says that a lot and then I hear it a lot around uh, in, in community. I hear it in, in restaurants. I hear it on, in, in social media. I, I see it. I mean, people hashtag that, you know, people say something and, and they, they want to make an impact with their words or they want to make a statement about something, whether it's political or social or, or just something that probably only their friends would understand. They hashtag it real talk. All right, so that's supposed to indicate something or mean something. Here's what I've observed, though, about real talk, that I'm not sure real talk is always what they mean for it to be. I mean, I'm not sure real and talking are two different things uh, that, that are coming together, that they they're really believe what they're saying is real talk. Uh, I think that they're trying to say something uh, else, and they, they hashtag it or indicate that it's real talk, but it's really not. And so I think the society uh, has a different view. And our culture, and even if we say it just jokingly or whatnot, uh, has a different view of real talk or what it means to speak authentically or to be honest or to be open. As I thought about that, and as we want to be a church that's authentic and that speaks authentically and is honest and real with one another and with our city and with our community, with our neighbors and with our family and our friends, um, I think it's important to look at what real talk looks like uh, in a cultural context and then what real talk really should be for a Christian and for the believer and for a church. And so when we say we value real talk, we, we tag it with this, that thoughts and doubts don't scare us. So when we say something bold or we say something that we, is filled with truth or, or something that is authentic, uh, we want to be able to be open also for someone to say that back to us. And as we walk down this faith journey and we talk about Jesus and we talk about things that oftentimes are controversial in society, uh, we've got to know that when people want to have real talk about these things, we've got to be ready to have real talk. We've got to know what real talk really is. And then when someone gives you real talk, um, maybe you'll be able to receive it in a way because you understand more what they're really saying, and then you can speak back to them in a way that Christ wants us to, in a way that I think, as we're going to see this morning, we should. So I, I think there's a couple of misnomers. I want to point a couple out to you before I read the scripture. I'm going to skip down, and I'm going to, I'm going to lay a couple of these out. I think real talk is used as a fake way to be authentic. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Someone uh, thinks they're being real and someone thinks they're being authentic by saying a bunch of real sensational, crazy stuff 
so as to get somebody's attention or to, or to make a point, especially now in this particular season that we find ourselves in, in our society, in our world, especially the political climate that we're in. I think even, but even in everyday life, I think somebody thinks they're being real or authentic when they tell you something crazy, whether it's about themselves or about something they think or some view that they hold or something that they have, when in fact, it's not actually being real at all. In fact, the crazy sensational stories and things that we say about ourselves or about society or about someone else is really nothing more than detracting from yourself. It's actually just this kind of fake way to keep us from really being authentic. Just because you tell somebody a story that's crazy about yourself doesn't mean you're being authentic. Oftentimes, people will do that so you'll feel sorry for them or so you'll, you'll uh, want to do something for them. Some people, unfortunately, I'm not saying everyone does this, but some people, unfortunately, use real talk as a fake way to be authentic to manipulate. And so in a lot of ways... This, this is an issue in our lives. Uh, I think we've probably all been guilty of that. Who hasn't in here been guilty of telling a story, a sensational story or something crazy so someone will like you or somebody will, will see your viewpoint or, 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 I don't know, maybe you intentionally or unintentionally manipulated somebody. But I think that's how we see that sometimes in society, that, that real talk can, can be seen as authentic, but really it's not. It's, it's a fake way to try to be authentic to actually get you to look somewhere else and not really to the core of who I am so I don't have to be authentic with you. I think the society uses real talk to force an opinion on others. I think everybody in here would be in agreement on that. And so we hashtag it real talk and we say real talk, oh, this is, I'm just being real so that I can force my opinion or something that I believe deeply, which is fine. If you're, if you, it's not fine to force it on somebody, but if you're conversing with somebody, it's okay for two people to have an opinion. I think we struggle with that too. I think we struggle with that in society, that we don't think two people can have differing views and still get along. Uh, I think that's a shame, actually. And I think that's what's led us to a lot of issues in society, where we can't come to resolution or, or we can't even get on the same page about certain things in business or in our culture or in politics or oftentimes in church. And so real talk is okay to have an opinion, but when you use real talk and hide behind that in forcing your opinion on somebody, then you're basically just being abusive. And, and it's really in no way being authentic. You are controlling a conversation or a situation by, quote, using real talk. Really, at the end of the day, we are trying to force someone to see things our way. See this all the time. You've heard of cyberbullying. You've heard of social media bullying. I mean, a lot of that goes on. And a lot of people will hashtag that and come under the guise of real talk in that way. But really, if you break it down, it's just this person being incredibly forceful and borderline abusive to get you to see that they're away. And so, in, in my opinion, the believer and from the scriptures and, and our worldview, we really should avoid that. And at the end of the day, that's not even really being honest anyway. That's not real talk. That's not real conversing with somebody or having a conversation. I think the last thing is this, and this might be the biggest one. And this, this, is, a, this is a tough one because I think this, there's a line here when you're speaking truth. And I think there's a line here when you're be, trying to be honest, and there's a line here when you're trying to help someone. But I think the line is crossed when real talk is used as an excuse to be harm, harmful or hurtful to somebody. 
This is the just saying mantra. You know what I mean? The just saying has, is the new bless your heart. Have you picked up on that? I mean, I'm back in the South now. We, I hear just saying a lot when I lived in another part of the country. But now that I'm back in the South, you hear the, the bless your hearts again. And the bless. Now it's just bless. It's just, we don't even say bless your heart anymore. It's just bless. I'm not picking on you ladies, I promise. Uh, that's, my, that's my attempt at a female voice. I'm not picking, I'm not picking on you ladies because I think guys do it. I've caught myself doing it. You say, you see someone in, in some situation, somebody's telling you something, you think you're, oh, bless them. It's the, and then when we, when we feel like it's time for us to, to, to share some real talk and be honest, we approach it in such a way to where it's not real talk at all. It's just harmful language. Just being hurtful. Just saying something you want to say. Get off your chest. Someone you think something needs to hear. And it's just borderline, you're just being a jerk. And a lot of times we hide behind this real talk mantra, this just saying mantra, uh, just to hurt people. Because we think it might need to be said. And maybe it does need to be said. But I think there's a way to go about it in the way that God calls us to do it as believers and to example among each other and among, among ourselves. And, and man, th- there are times when we, we have conversations and, and I was thinking about this this week and, and, and things just don't come out right and you're, you're hurtful and then you, you circle back and, and you, you apologize and you say, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know what, what I said I meant, but I, man, I came about it the wrong way and I hurt you and I, I'm really sorry. That, that happens. But when that constantly becomes a thing that's in our life and in our speech, then it begins to not be real at all. And not authentic. And not honest. It's just, at the end of the day, just hurtful. Just really hurtful. There's a scripture that shows us, I think, something here. It's in 1 Peter 3. And I'm going to read this to us. And I think that this is more of the real talk or the real posture of our lives that God is calling us to as we interact with people in two ways. As we interact with the world, as we interact with people at our jobs and people in our neighborhoods and people in our families, in our lives that don't know Christ. And then I think there's a way in which we also are informed to interact with people who do share that, that faith with us and do share that relationship with Jesus. Peter is, is writing this letter and he's pinning this pastoral letter, and he's addressing the issue of people being afraid. He's addressing, earlier, if you, if you want to look in your Bible later, if you even want to glance down there, if you have it now, it's not going to be on the screen. Notice that he starts out chapter three talking to wives, and then he addresses the husbands. So he's kind of going from a family standpoint to start with, and then he's starting to address all Christians. So what's great about this is that we can translate this into our lives in several different ways. This is helpful for us as husbands. It's helpful for us as wives. It's helpful for us as parents. But really, this is an applicable principle and idea across the board. That's why we say as a church, we all should value this. And Peter gets to this point to where he's addressing all Christians. Man, he's talking about enjoying life He's talking about this idea of seeing happy days, but then he starts talking about this idea of suffering too. And and he's not just talking about an idea of abject suffering, like I'm just, something happened to me uh, externally and it's harming me and it's causing me pain and frustration and hurt. He's, He's in a sense addressing suffering for doing good. 
So it's not just he's hurting because something arbitrary happened to me or, or something out of left field came into my life. But no, he's addressing all Christians, husbands, wives, people that suffer for doing good, for following Christ. And he gets down into verse 13 and he says this. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? It's almost like he asked this, it's rhetorical almost, this question. I mean, doesn't that I thought about that this week. I'm like, a lot of people, a lot of people would want to harm you if you're eager to do good. You never heard of the cliche that no, no good deed goes unpunished? How many of you have ever suffered from that? You, you are eager. Your heart is right. Your mind is set. Your attitude is good. You want to help someone. You want to help a, a situation. I mean, why would anybody want to harm you if you're eager to do good? Well, you know, there's plenty of people. And there might be plenty of people living in your own house. I mean, you might sleep with the person who, uh, I mean, in a biblical way, you know, like <laughs> Christ-centered way. Reel that back in. <laughs> you single people in the room. Get the... It might be, listen, it might be closer than you think. You're just eager to do good. Well intended. I think that's often one of the biggest things we struggle with in our marriages. I know I had a whole season in my life where I just didn't believe my wife was well intended. When she spoke, when she said anything, when she, heck, when she complimented me. I just thought there was something behind it. What, what, whoa. But really, at the end of the day, totally well-intended. But I thought ill-intended. And what's interesting about life sometimes is what's tough to navigate at times is that we're eager to do good. We're well-intended. The other person is. But it doesn't mean that people are always going to receive it that way. And it doesn't mean we're always going to be received that way. And Peter's saying, hey, you know what? Why would people want to harm you if you're eager to do good? And he's saying this in to a people and to a group of people. And then to us, we're reading this, kind of saying, you are going to suffer some harm, even if you are eager to do good. But he says, so, so he addresses it this way. If you suffer for doing what's right, if you suffer for true Christ-centered real talk, and if you suffer for being authentic, and if you suffer for... For, for speaking truth and, and, and the thoughts and the doubts, they shouldn't scare you. They shouldn't scare you in your own home and in your own workplace and certainly not in the church and, and not in the world. He says, if, even if you do suffer, God will reward you for it. He, he knows your heart. He knows your intent. So if your intent is bad, he knows that. And, and we know that. We know what we do. We're never really surprised but he says, if your heart is right and you are eager and intent to do good, then, then God will bless you for that. Then, then even if you do suffer, you will be blessed in the midst of it. You will experience Christ's joy and, and true contentment and fulfillment in your life knowing that you did the right thing, even if you suffer for it. So he says, so don't worry about it. Don't worry or be afraid of their threats. So if you know your heart is right and your intentions are good and you're eager to do good and you're well-intended, whether someone receives you in that well-intended way and you just happen to maybe even suffer for your well-intention, 
He says, because of God, because he's the one in which we should live for, seek to please, seek to honor, seek to glorify, he will bless you regardless. And so you don't have to worry about real threats. And you don't have to worry about real talk. And you don't have to worry about getting caught up into speaking in a way like the culture speaks. And you don't have to worry about being abusive and harmful. You don't have to worry about being fake so that you think you're being authentic. And you don't have to worry about forcing an opinion on someone else that really is invalid. So he says, God will reward if your intention is good, if you're eager to do good, if it's right. He says, so don't be afraid, people. So in a minute, we'll talk about, just for a second, about that fear factor of real talk. That's why we put in there, and that's why we prayed about this statement of thoughts and doubts don't scare us. Because when you start to talk about Jesus, and you start to talk about people actually having a relationship with Jesus, you can talk with Jesus all day. But when you start talking about it getting into your kitchen, and like into your life, and, and changing your life, and submitting to Christ, man, that, that gets crazy. Remember, the scriptures are very clear. The gospel is foolishness to those who are unbelieving. So there are threats. There are, there are things that maybe you perceive as threats. There are relationships that go sour. There are things that break down because when you start talking about your faith and you start talking about Christ, it's the intent in which you talk in a real and authentic way that God is concerned about. It's your heart he's concerned about. And if your heart is good, even if you suffer for that, you don't have to be afraid. In verse 15, he says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. So he comes back to the center of who we should be and how we should live. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. (laughs) Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. They'll be ashamed because you're so awesome. No. And I am? No. They'll, they'll be ashamed if you live a well-intended life, eager to do good, filled with compassion, love, and hope, responding out of your faith and hope and love in Christ. They'll, they'll see the good life you live because of Jesus, not because of you. Notice he, he makes a distinction there. They'll see the good life that you live because you belong to Christ. That will make the difference. Not your aura and your awesomeness <laughs> or mine. I'm going to throw myself in there because I'm certainly not awesome. Here's what I find to be the distinction here between real talk of what we laid out in society and oftentimes what gets played out and expressed in culture and in our relationships, and we all do it, and what I think the scriptures mean when we say real talk. And I think when, when real talk is communicated as a believer, I think that's when we share our hope. In this passage, Peter says, be ready to explain the hope that's in you. What's interesting is then when you explain the hope that's in you in Christ, Man, that really changes your intentions. It it changes your attitude. It changes the way in which you approach people. It it helps us. It helps us keep the main thing the main thing, 
And it also helps us to remember who we are in Jesus. And it also helps us to remember why we're talking to these people in the first place. That word hope is interesting. People who are real talkers and who are also followers of Jesus are hope sharers. They are sharers of a hope that is within you. And this is what it means in this context. It means a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. In fact, it is a hope that is attached to something. It is attributed to an author or a beginner or a starter or a catalyst of that hope. So when he says, be ready to explain the hope that's within you and you're ready to do some real talk, what you're doing is, is you're expressing to people in your home, in your life, in your work, in the church and in the world on the street, you are expressing a joyful confidence and expectation of your salvation in Christ. That'll change your language, right? That'll probably change your intent. That'll probably make you more real. That'll probably make you less abusive. When you're expressing what you have in Jesus, in joy and confidence, and it is attributed to him as a person so you know it's real. Listen, this isn't a hope that you're wishing will be there. This, you are speaking, and you and I are speaking out of a hope that we know is there. That's why we have the joy and the confidence to speak that way. So you don't have to be afraid, because even if it brings you some harm, even if this real talk, this sharing of hope makes things uncomfortable, you are speaking not out of yourself and your own opinion, but you are sharing with a joyful confidence, the expectations that you have in Christ. Not only one day, but right now. And it is attached to a person. Your hope is real. It's sure. You're not, oh, I hope. No, it's a hope that's confident. A hope that is confident that you're sharing out of your heart. It's based in your salvation, your rescue. He saved you. He changed me. When we speak like that, then it makes our real talk, our honesty, our truth-bearing, all of this look and sound differently. Why? Because our hope does not abandon truth. Okay, so just because we speak in this hope doesn't mean that we don't tell the truth. The difference is this. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Be ready to explain what? Be ready to explain where the hope comes from. Be ready to explain the truth that the hope is based in. And so when we're witnessing or we're telling someone who doesn't know Jesus about him, you're not abandoning your truth. You're not abandoning because to abandon your truth would be to abandon your hope. Because your hope is in an objective truth of Christ. That God is the creator. That he is the sustainer. That he was not created. That there's nothing preceded him and nothing comes after him and and he is all sufficient and he is powerful and he is real and he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to bring glory to himself and to redeem sinners like me and you and in that redemption we get to experience life and out of Jesus' own mouth he said the abundant life the life that is filled with joy and peace and hope when really you shouldn't have any That's the truth. That's the gospel. That is what we base our hope in. 
So when we're speaking to people in a real way, whether we're witnessing to them or trying to help them with an issue or just trying to help them see their destructive ways or their behavior or their sin or, or just trying to be an encouragement to another Christian, you are speaking out of a hope that is based in truth. That's why it's worth explaining. So if we abandon truth, we abandon hope. But the truth-bearing that is the basis of our hope sounds differently than perhaps we see in the world and perhaps how we see sometimes in our own lives. The truth of Christ and the hope that is based in his truth is not abusive. It's not manipulative. It's not forceful in that way. It is not agenda-driven. It is not based upon my own will. It has a different approach to how we talk. So hope sharing, real talk, does not forsake truth and does not forsake hope based in that truth. Guess what? Our hope does not forsake love either. So we speak a lot of truth. We say a lot of truth. We, we have a lot of truthful conversations, and those are great. I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for people in my life that speak truth. I'm very thankful for people in my life that speak straightforward too. I, I don't like being misrepresented. I don't like misrepresenting others. Uh, people in my life make fun of me. People, people in my church uh, made, made a lot of fun of me. And, and the people from Springdale here that are with us now, they're going to know what I'm talking about. But, I, but I'll go on aside real quick to say this. Um, I will over tell a story. Um, John's laughing as well. And... Um, that's why we end up sitting with people. I'll sit with you for several hours. And I, I like to talk to you. And if you like to talk, I like to talk. I, I found myself, I didn't realize I was doing this, John. I didn't realize I was doing this. I, my team in Louisville did a video, a funny video. And part of that funny video was to kind of clown each other. It was just part of it. It was something we did for our leadership celebration. And as you can imagine, everyone thought it was hilarious. So we were, we were just picking it at the team, and they, they interviewed me too. So I, I certainly had my opportunity to be funny. In that video, every one of my team members, all 12 of them, they all spoofed me in this way. They all began to tell stories that they spliced together that were incredibly detailed. <laughs> incredibly. And man... When you see that on the screen, there's like 200 people watching it and laughing. Man, you're like, do I do that? And you're like, yeah, I do. I do that a lot. <laughs> that is me. I mean, it was spot on. It was unreal. They, they had me pegged. I was talking to someone later and, you know, we were laughing about it. And I was like, yeah, that was unreal. That was very accurate and very funny. What's interesting about it, though, is this, is I find that that desire for truth and being real in that way, I want, I want to tell all the details because I want to uh, kind of reinforce the truth of it. Because I happened to grow up in some situations that were, weren't always honest. In fact, very dishonest. And so, as a believer, I, if I'm telling you a story, I don't want to leave anything out because I want you to believe me. And so when we're, we're talking about a story about something that happened, I don't have to tell you what restaurant I was at and what we had to eat and what I was wearing and what the person in my life, my wife is dying laughing back there. It, it's real. It's a real thing. I can own it. Look, a real talk. Hashtag. <laughs> but I just, 
is anybody feeling me? So, so like you just want so bad for the veracity or the, or the, the legitimacy of that truth to, to be known and, and realized. And the way I do that when I'm real talking is I just share a lot of details. And sometimes it's unnecessary. And sometimes it is, but you probably don't want to hear it. So I probably go to the extreme in that, but I like that in a sense. I like it when people are honest with each other and they're truth-bearing to one another. I think it makes for very non-chaotic situations. I think it makes for harmonious situations in families, in relationships, in churches. And we don't do that enough. However, I think oftentimes when we tell the truth, we leave love out. But, but this hope that he says is in us and that we explain can't leave it out because it's not the heart of God. It's not the heart of Jesus. So he says, when you're a real talker, yeah, tell your truth. Fine. Speak your truth, even if it's hard. Even if it's hard for you to hear, even if it's hard for someone else to hear. It is what it is. But it can't forsake love. If it forsakes love, then it's not the hope of Christ. And it's not based in Christ's truth. I know we've all been guilty of that. That's a stinging one. That's why Peter says in verse 16, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. So speak your truth. Be ready to give every man an answer, every person an answer, even if they harm you or it puts you in a bad position. But man, you've got to do this in a gentle and respectful way because that's what you do when you share hope in Christ. And that's what real talk that is Christ-centered does. It speaks truth in love. I thought about this. The aim of explaining our hope is not to win an argument, but to introduce people to Jesus. So when, when you're talking to somebody you know does not have a faith in Christ, has not been res- rescued, is just lost. And you know, remember how you were when you were lost. You're just broken and have no idea. When you're talking to that person, when you're sharing this hope with truth, it can't forsake love because, man, at the end of the day, we're not trying to win an argument. We're trying to point people to Christ. I had the pleasure of sitting under the teaching of, of the world's foremost leading authority on the resurrection of Christ. The, uh, a, a man who was an atheist, a philosopher at Michigan State University, and who got saved when he was a professor of philosophy at Michigan State. And, and then he became this incredible apologist. Gary Habermas is his name. And he just happened to be one of my professors when I went to seminary. And, and this man was so brilliant, you almost couldn't even hardly have a conversation with him. I mean, it was just it was unbelievable, the stuff that he had in his head and he could talk about. I mean, he, he debated, in 1980, he debated this, this guy named Anthony Flew, who was the world's foremost leading atheist and secularist in the world. He's an Oxford professor. He debates the guy. After the debate, the guy becomes a theist. He like believes in God. This is how persuasive, this is how smart this guy was. Is, he's still living. Incredibly persuasive, incredibly brilliant, incredibly smart. You know what he would say at the end of every class? He would read this passage of scripture. And he would say, remember guys, it's not about winning an argument. It's about introducing people to Jesus. 
And you know what does that? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. But in, in God's good pleasure, he uses us to see people come to Christ through his Holy Spirit. Um, he does that through hope and truth and love. I mean, Paul, Paul said it himself. He, he said, if I had to give to prophecy, I mean, if I was this skilled, talented, spiritually gifted person, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge, man, if I had all the knowledge to drop on you, and, and man, I had all the, the skills and the gifts, of pro- all the gifts. You ever met somebody who thinks they got all the gifts? I understood all of God's secret plans and his possessed all his knowledge. And, and if I had faith, it, it could literally move a mountain. But I didn't love other people. What does he say? This is stark. This, that is a stark, stark statement. I would be nothing. Then none of that would do me any good. Because at the end of the day, it's the hope of Christ. Based in his truth. Delivered. With his love. For the believers together, our hope seeks right relationships. So as real talkers based in hope, we, we want to seek right relationship with each other. In verse 16, he says, keep your conscience clear. Keep your knowing clear. Keep your understanding of who you are and who other people are clear. That's what it means. And so our hope does this for us as we confer with each other and as we love each other and as we do life together and as we as we sometimes have to kind of uh, encourage each other and then sometimes as we have to correct and exhort each other and kind of real strongly encourage. Our hope does not forsake love and seeks the right relationship. Why? Because I think, I'm not quite sure of this, but I've been convinced through the years, through some hard situations, that we should make more of an effort to be in right relationship than we do at trying to be right. And I believe that that is a, an approach that's based out of the hope of Christ and that is founded in his truth and that does not forsake love and because that hope seeks that right relationship. Does it mean that we give in to sin? No. Does it mean that we allow people to abuse us or to abuse others? No, it does not. Does it mean that that we just cast aside the things that we don't want to deal with? No, it doesn't. Oftentimes we can't do that at all. But what it does is it changes our perspective and our relationships in a way that we're more interested in being in right relationship with that person that honors God than we are just making sure they know we're right. And I think oftentimes we, we get into these exchanges. I've been guilty. You get into these exchanges where we just want to be right so bad that at the end of the day, the relationship is in shambles. Oh, man. I, I, I just don't, I don't want to do that. And I don't care what embarrassment. I've been in some in situations where I've been embarrassed for myself. I had to say, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. I, I did this to you. You're not that. I didn't. Do, it's, it's not fun. But I think at the end of the day, the believer who's filled with hope, not forsaking love, wants that relationship more than they want to be right. Because the relationship is the thing that sustains and lasts. Uh, Nine times out of ten, we forget about what we were arguing about two or three weeks later. Can I get a witness married couples? Can I get a witness single people? Do you have friendships? 
I mean, can you even remember sometimes what you were arguing about? No. And you lay on the altar your whole relationship of, you know, for being right. And they say, you know, these relationships go, we don't have them anymore. And we, I mean, what, for what? So we can feel smart? I don't know. We won? Man, I went to Carolina. I don't have to win. It's fine. <laughs> I'm just getting that out there before football season starts so y'all know when, you know, all that happens. And Clemson will probably be good again. Anyway, um, ver- verse, uh, that was for all the Clemson people, and especially John and Cheryl. And so anyway, um, Verse 16, then they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live. So if your conscience is clear, if you're seeking right relationship and instead of trying to be right, then that'll indicate itself in your life. And when people are coming against you and they're talking about you, and they're going to. It's just the way of the world. Even in the church. They won't be able to, they won't be able to say anything that sticks. Because you'll be a life lived that shares and explains out of hope the truth of God with love, not abandoning the desire to have a right relationship. And that's a pretty good life. You know, the good life that we term in our world is different from that good life, isn't it? He says you, you, you won't be able to be accused because you'll be honoring Jesus with your life and your talk. This is the last one I'll throw in. Um, I think it is a shade of the last point. But I think it's important to mention here. I think that our hope that's based in truth listens more than it talks. So real talk in and of itself is kind of a misnomer. Because really if we, if we got serious about how we're supposed to approach each other and how we're supposed to interact in the world and how we're supposed to really behave in the church and in community together. Really, it should be, we value real listening. And we, I fall short there sometimes. I want to fix, I want to help. Sometimes it causes me to talk when I should listen. And I think we all in some way struggle with that from time to time. Some are better than others. But I think that in order to be real talkers that are based in hope and truth, I think we got to listen more than we talk sometimes. James 1 says this. Understand this, my, my dear brothers and sisters. Understand this, everybody. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. In another translation, it says, human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Here's what's interesting about this passage. There are two active mandates. There's one passive one. The the one passive one. I'm sorry, two passive, one active. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to get angry. One active directive. Two passive directives. Is that how we should behave in our lives? As real talkers. Because when we don't listen enough, when we talk too much, things manifest in our lives. Might not be anger for you. 
Might be resentment, might be bitterness, might, might be something else. Might be control, might be your desire to control situations and people and things. But those things do not produce the righteousness of God. They, it do, it's not real talk. And it's a convicting situation when we have that statement at the end where it says they will, they will see the life that you live not because of you, but because you belong to Christ. That's what makes the difference. That's what sets you apart. That's what sets us apart. And in doing that, we express a hope that is based in God's truth, that does not forsake his love, that seeks right relationship instead of being right all the time or thinking we're right all the time, and, and then listens more than it talks. And that shows, that kind of life shows that we belong to Christ. That's a different life, isn't it? Think about all the relationships you have. That stands out. And so the person can point in verse 16 and say, oh, they're different because of Jesus. I pray that our church will be hashtag real talkers and real talk from this perspective and not from the ones we see playing out often and that we commit sometimes, and that doesn't help anyone. So we value real talk, but we won't value real talk in the way that you thought today, did you? We value it from God's perspective that will allow us to live this type of lives. And then together, collectively, that type of life live changes things, changes a city, changes a community, changes neighborhoods, changes